Let's keep in touch, let's keep in touch, keep in touch with me. Drop me a line any old time. You know Hi, welcome to talk to us about English. Hey Mel, who do we have with us today? Our guest today is Amanda Bradford, who is a lecturer of English language at Duke Kunshan University in China. I'm assuming in Kunshan? Kunshan? In Kunshan, China, that's correct. And for the Americans who are ignorant of geography, like myself, um, Kunshan is near Shanghai. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's right. It's basically a suburb of Shanghai. So it's on the east coast of China, the central part of China. So right on the coast. So, okay. Yeah. And um, Amanda and I have known each other since about 2012 when we both worked at Zayed University in Abu Dhabi. Shout out. Um, <laughs> but we've uh, both moved on. And Amanda, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started in teaching, because I don't really know that much about it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I'd be happy to tell you guys. Um, so I was your average sort of liberal arts humanities kind of major who didn't really have a clue um, what I was going to do after university. Um, I, it was like a history political science major, but had no interest in um, going to law school or anything. And the way that I got into English teaching was that I, uh, I was grant writing for a while, like I was trying to save the world and grant writing, helping all the people um, in Philadelphia. And uh, this was right after I graduated. And there was like a, a, a center across the street from where I lived uh, for recent immigrants. And they had a sign in the window that basically said, um, you know, volunteer English teachers needed. And I was like, it's kind of cool. You know, I'm really into travel. I like to meet people from different places. I have zero experience, but hey, I'll volunteer. And so I started there and I, you know, was going there twice a week at night to volunteer and help out with the classes. And I was like, this, this is like, this is fun. This is like awesome. <laughs> and during the day, yeah. What's <laughs> yeah, so funny about that is hearing that, that is actually really similar to my <laughs> own path. Like I remember I graduated, I distinctly remember being incredibly jealous of people who ended up with like consultancy jobs at Arthur Anderson or things like that. Oh, like yeah, right. definitely had, and I remember wishing that I wanted to do something like that. Like I wished yeah. that I wanted a job like that, but I knew I did it. And I have these memories of myself walking around the streets of Chicago, no mm -hmm. job, not sure what I was going to do. And just like wishing I could figure it out. Yeah. And I actually did grant writing too, before I got uh, into interesting. This. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, I mean, there was one day where, so I would be during going to work during the day and like sitting at a desk all day, just bored out of my mind, like, you know, typing in front of a screen. And then at night I was like teaching these classes and I was realizing like, this is the most rewarding part of my entire life for these like volunteer night classes that I'm teaching like twice wow. a week. And so, um, yeah. And so I, you know, and then sometimes the, the, the head teacher would be sick or something and then I would have to take over and I had no experience, but you know, the people at the center were like, you're really good. You know, people are recommending, you know, that they want to be in your class, even though you're an assistant teacher. And I was like, wow, I think wow. I might be good at this. So around that point, I was, I was like, you know what, I got to make some changes in my life. Like I've got this job dead end sitting in front of a laptop or laptop sitting in front of a, a computer all day in an office 
and I went bold and I went big. Um, I looked at master's degrees programs and I found one that was in conjunction with the Peace Corps. And um, they don't have this program anymore, more, but the Peace Corps basically said, look, if you sign up for Peace Corps service, we'll pay for half of your master's degree. Oh, wow. Um, and so, um, but it was only a program that existed at about five schools in the country. Wow. And uh, one of those schools uh, happened to be in California. Woo! And I was, right. And I was like, I'm an East Coast girl. Like, when do you get a chance to go to California? And it was a, a really top program at the school called the Monterey Institute for International Studies. Oh, it's yeah. Yes. Part, part of, yeah. It's part of Middlebury now, Middlebury College. What a beautiful and, place to do some. Yeah. Sport. Yeah. So I, I, you know, applied for the Peace Corps at the same time as this program. I got into both and they basically, the Peace Corps back then you couldn't choose where you're going. And they were like, okay, so you're moving to Mozambique, just so you know. I'm like, where's Mozambique? What is that? <laughs> what do they speak? What, what what's, what's a Mozambique? What's, what's a Mozambique? And so um, I found out it was in Southern Africa and they spoke Portuguese and all this stuff. I was like, okay. And so I, so I basically quit my job, moved to California, did my first part of my master's degree there. And, uh, and then around the time where I'd be working on my thesis, they shipped me off to Mozambique for two and a half years. Wow. Did that whole thing, came back, finished off my thesis in California. And then since then, you know, I got the travel bug pretty bad. And um, yeah. after that, I did a fellowship in Brazil and then I went to the Middle East and now I'm in China and I just, I'm, I've accepted that this is who I am. Like I am a crazy <laughs> expat adventure travel chick. So oh, awesome. yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I, I have enjoyed since I've known you, Amanda, watching your travels. I feel like you are braver than me in your travel <laughs> and adventurous spirit. And I really <laughs> admire that actually. Oh, um, cool. I mean, it, it seems like you have been to a lot of different places. What are some of your favorite mm -hmm. places that you have visited? Um, the fun thing about traveling, I think the way that I do it is I really try and stay open to all of the places and find something really cool in each place that I go. So every place I've been to, I found really awesome um, and exciting in, in its own way, whether it's the culture or the people or whatever it is. But the places I've enjoyed most, I, I really have loved hanging out in Southeast Asia, where again, that's where I was during COVID in Thailand, right after we left China uh, last can, year. Can I, can I just stop you here? Because yes. Yeah, yes. we're recording this on January 28th. You're in China. Oh. We're in America. Uh, and, and, and you've just said the, the sentence, that's where I was during COVID. Almost right. as it's over for you. Whereas it rages on big time. And I know no. people who are listening, you cannot see Amanda's face, but it's actually hilarious. She's like, yes sorry yeah uh -huh. it's actually pretty good um so yeah yeah, yeah. wow I mean it's 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 interesting because like for us in China or at least in Southeast Asia this was a thing that was you know this time last year right like right. this time last year right. around January everything was nuts it was a scary Freak time and I, yeah and I was talking to my people back in the states and you know, the Middle East and all over my people all over UK, whatever. 
And I'm like, you know, just so you know, I'm okay. Everything's fine. And, you know, everyone was like, what are you talking about? Like Trump's getting impeached right now. That's the big news. I'm like, well, anyway, there's this virus and there's this thing and I'm going to run. I'm going to run. I'm going to get out of here. And no one kind of knew about it in the West. I just remember some few, some interesting things related to those early days of COVID. You know, this past week, I remembered I received an email from a student of mine at about a year ago this time, the students from China, and he had emailed me because he knew that a friend of his was traveling from China to the United States. So this was about January 2019, late January. And he was very nervous about this friend coming here because there was this virus in China and it was really scary. And should he tell her, should he do something? Should he tell the university or something like that? And I was like, well, I really don't know. But I just remember receiving this and just being like, whoa, wow. And the other thing, because of course I know people who are in China, they were definitely freaking out. I remember I was um, researching hazmats, uh, hazmat suits on on Amazon because I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? It could come here. You know, know we were very insulated from a lot of the issues with SARS. And I think that that really, I think that with the Western mindset, we were very much like, the what is the wall is high it's and the emperor there. is far away. It's over uh, there. Yeah, it's it's not here. It's over yeah. over there, and yeah. uh, that that hubris is quite a learning curve. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about your experiences? Because I think uh, it's going to be really interesting since you were kind of at ground zero, and yeah. now you can actually say was was. So was. tell us a little bit about what it's been like for you during the COVID times? Yeah, so, so I mean, just to update everyone who's like watching this from the West, like it's kind of, I mean, essentially it's kind of done here. We have outbreaks, which I'm sure make the news in the West, but like, like there's a huge outbreak in the North of the country right now. And it's like 200 cases, you know, like 200 in a country of like a billion people. And so the moment, that happens in China, the way things roll, as I've learned is, I mean, they lock down and they freaking lock down totally. There's no, you know, oh, but in my situation, like, but I have a, like, it's just nothing, right? So actually that, you know, the strategy is hardcore, but it kind of works. And so um, we don't really have an issue here, but, but let's, let's go back in time to when it all started, which again was this time last year in January. It was the Lunar New Year holiday, basically Chinese New Year. We all had like a week holiday at my university and I had booked a trip to Southeast Asia, which I totally love it down there. And things were getting pretty dicey. Um, We kept hearing about this virus and a few days before my flight out of the country, I suddenly went to my classroom and I had four students in the class with like N99 masks on. And I was like, is this? Like, I couldn't tell if they were being dramatic or I, like I was downplaying it or they were over, I couldn't under, I couldn't tell how serious it was. And like, everyone was freaking out here, but I'm like, come on, is this really as bad as I think it was? Very progressively over like maybe a period of like 36 hours. I was like, okay, this is big. This is big. And I cannot wait to get on my plane for my one week vacation. I just want to get out of this country. Right. So I got on the plane 
Um, I was actually, <laughs> it was such a stressful time. I was bumped to first class on my flight for no reason at all. And honestly, it was white privilege. Um, it like, honestly, I, I was the only, um, you know, American on the plane, white face. There was a big virus exploding in China. And literally they're like, they're, we've changed your ticket. You'll be in first class. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And basically in first class, there was a lot of space between all the seats and everything. Right. And it was like, and so I think they were like, we don't want an American to get this virus because it's going to be an international incident. And what I, I have ha, no idea. Well, too late. <laughs> I know, right? So I got on the flight, went to Southeast Asia. I was there for a week. I was in Laos and I got to the end of my vacation and it got so bad and so scary at the end of January. All my colleagues were like leaving China, my Western colleagues, mm -hmm. and China was locking down. And at that point, I was like, I will not be going back there. I will not be going back there. I'm not going back there. I will go to a place which I know is awesome down the street, which is Thailand. So I got a flight to Thailand, canceled my flight back to Shanghai. And it was like a $50 flight, went to Thailand. And in Thailand at that point, it was still a China thing. So it was like, oh, China, China, like we're just life back to normal. And I kind of hung out. And then I heard from my university, just so you know, we're shutting down, we're all going online. And this was about, I would say early February. And, uh, and so we, we started the whole Zoom thing. <laughs> and I was like, at that point, I was like, oh my God. And they're like, and we'll just be online. Just teach your students wherever you are in the world online and just hang Good out luck. where you are. Good luck with that. So, I mean, of course there's that learning curve you guys know about teaching online, all of that stuff. So that was very stressful. But then also I was in Thailand and there wasn't really a virus. And so I was hanging out. And then I got really lucky because my university really supported us and basically That's said, great. wherever it is you are, we'll pay for your accommodations, a lot of money for your accommodations, whatever you want. We'll pay for your salary direct to your U.S. bank account. We will just keep teaching, keep teaching, keep teaching. And so that happened. That happened. So then we get to March, end of March. And at that point, I was going to go to TESOL in the States. I had a flight <laughs> for the conference. And I was like, oh, you know, I usually go to TESOL, see my family, whatever, see, you know, all of this stuff. And then, you know, that was like, my flight was like March 21st. And like America was like, <laughs> like uh, yeah, freak out city, you know, freak out city, everything was closed. And then basically Thailand locked down at that point. So there was a brief moment in Thailand for, I'd say about a month of just like, woo, it's fine here. It's just China. And then it was like, uh-oh. Uh and then and then Thailand started to get hardcore and I'd be walking down the street and I'd go into a shopping mall in Bangkok. And all of a sudden someone would have a, like, it would look like a gun, right? Like a gun pointed at my head and I'm an American. So when someone points something like, like I'm like, <gasps> and of course it's a temperature check Game monitor. Check gauge and that's so standard over here and basically since february on a daily basis like at some point if i go into any store anywhere i have someone putting the gun to my head which is the temperature check i don't even wow. notice it anymore 
right? You know, and we so talked to fact, somebody who is who yeah. is in Dubai, and he he jokingly said he's never had his temperature taken as much as he has yeah. in the situation because of the yeah. same precautions that are being taken. Yeah, so. it's interesting <laughs> and, too yeah. because here in the U.S., um, you know, you do come across that. That's how I would say it. You you find yeah. that in some places. Yeah. Uh, but it's certainly not across the board. And right. in fact, yesterday I went to a dental appointment at the university where I work. That was probably the most, I'm going to say serious checking mm -hmm. I'd seen. Like they, they really checked lots of questions and then like a, a very intense temperature gun. And I thought, oh, wow, this is probably like how you're supposed to do this if you are really yeah, trying to and, Yeah, and it was sort of like in Thailand, I mean, we're talking like back in February of 2020, I, it's like you go to a 7-Eleven and you can't get in the 7-Eleven unless the temperature gun is like, so it, like it's any public place you go to. And I, I mean, I. I think it must work because Southeast Asia really like our cases here are so low. Right. But I imagine if I'm a sick person and I have symptoms, but I'm not sure or whatever, like, and I know I can't even get into a CVS equivalent of a CVS or a 7-Eleven, I'm not going to attempt to go to those places. Right. But if I'm yeah. sick, you know, I will. So anyway, so these, these became like standard parts of my life in Thailand back last February and masks were just across the board suddenly overnight. I mean, some people in the East Asia, they often wear masks if they're sick. This is kind of part of the culture over here. Right. But suddenly it was like a 100% thing, percent of the population, probably like the end of February in Thailand where it was like standard. Um, and so at first I kind of had the reaction of how Americans, I saw reacting in the States to it back in like April. I was like freaked out. I'm like, there's temperature guns and there's masks. This is so intense. It's like fear, fear, fear. Yeah. Like what is it? You know, I felt like so freaked out. I'm like, maybe I should leave and go back to the state, you know, and I had this. And then very quickly, it all just became so standard and so normal. And then I was watching you guys in the States kind of slowly going through that evolution as well. Yeah but it's taken such a while and then it became yeah. political and then it's yeah. just a mess. We were kind of ahead and because we got ahead of it in, in East Asia, you know, Southeast Asia, whatever East Asia where I am in China now, it was uh, like we, we, you know, we, we got rid of it mostly. It's manageable. So, it's, it's manageable. Yeah. And I think, you know what, I, I think hearing your experience, I hope will help people who are listening to this, because I know in certain parts of the world, like uh, the UK right now is being really awfully hit. Um, yeah. Here in Los Angeles, we've had horrific case numbers. They are going yeah. down now, but I think a lot of people in the West right now are, and then of course there's the whole variance, like there's this new strain and that strain. Yeah. I, I, I think people might be feeling a little bit down about things but for me just speaking personally and I don't know how it will sound when this actually comes out last year at this time I was pretty freaked because I had received that message from my student I also knew oh, someone wow. in China so I was aware and not just you I was aware how serious it was and then I remember you know you mentioned the masks sometime I would say between the end of January middle of February I took a picture on my campus it was like this beautiful sunny day there's all these people who are out nobody's wearing a mask except for two students from China they're both wearing masks and it just kind of felt like 
it's coming. Like when I think about that picture, I feel like it's coming. But the truth is, I feel like, yes, things are grim here, but they are going to get better. They're going to get better soon. We're, you know, we are, as Amy said, we've learned one thing in, in Asia that we didn't have was the experience with SARS to sort of prepare us yeah. for this. We also now have a new administration. I think they're going to handle things more efficiently. I certainly hope so. Um, so I, I believe better days are coming actually sooner rather than later. I hope I'm right. And I did not feel that way last year at this time. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering how the teaching was throughout mm-hmm. this whole time. How were your students? What was it like for you? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So again, most of the time for me, I was in Thailand. So I was in Thailand for about eight months uh, because basically China closed down and I couldn't get back in. But again, I was fine with China being closed down because I was locked in paradise. (laughs) Um, So it would be kind of weird because I was like teaching my Chinese students who were in full lockdown in China. And I mean, China lockdown is not US lockdown. Right. Like, oh, like I'm in lockdown right now. I'm like, I'm like, I think you don't understand. Like they cannot leave their, but they haven't seen sunlight for like weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they would be, it would be really strange for me. So they would be in these really stressful situations, like hold up in these apartments with their family for like weeks and months. And I'm teaching them online from Thailand you can see like the beach in the background. I'm like, don't look behind me. (laughs) And I was like, this is like such a mess. And my life was like pretty awesome. There was no COVID really in Thailand. I wore a mask every day and the temperature checks, but it was the, for me, it was the teaching online that I found really, really challenging. And I've had Mm. colleagues who absolutely love it. And I was one of the ones that were like, I just don't, it doesn't work for me. I love that I can wear my pajamas when I'm teaching and that's awesome but like the the zoom connections and the like it's just I felt like I didn't know my students very well it was just like a box on a screen you know so that whole classroom vibe was um I really didn't enjoy it um and so I, I you know it was convenient and wonderful in many different ways but like I really missed the face to face classroom so let's flash forward to where we are now I ended up coming back to China end of uh, September, early October, after a month of quarantine. That's a whole other story. <laughs> I finally got back to um, face-to-face teaching, which is my daily experience now um, in China. Face-to-face teaching, no masks, nothing, everything is back to normal. And so I've had this yeah, unique experience of having online and then going back to normal normal life. And, uh, and I just, I have never appreciated the face-to-face classroom so much as I do now. Um, and I didn't appreciate it before. So yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting in that respect. So that's really interesting that you mentioned this sort of new appreciation. I was just talking about this today and I said, I I like, I honestly, I feel like I'm happy with both. I I see advantages to both, there is definitely, there are things you can't, like I'm teaching a group of students, I would say they're very bright, they're engaged, they're motivated. But in our classes, if I say to them, uh, how are you doing today? Even at the beginning of the class, how are you doing today? 
almost none of them will say anything that would not happen in a face-to-face -face yeah. space they they would I, I would have two or three of them chime in and then somebody else would but you just that kind of feeling is so much harder to recreate online you might be able to do it if you mm -hmm. knew everyone but it's not going to happen immediately and also building that connection just takes so much more time i would how do you do you think your students have a newfound appreciation for face-to-face. -face. Yeah, and I really want to share this with you guys because I feel like in a way I'm in the future of yes. what's going to happen in the States. And the overwhelming experience of students who are on campus, and we have the international students aren't back to our campus, the American kids, but all the Chinese students who are there, overwhelmingly, like 90%, I would say, love the face-to-face -face experience and they miss it. And we have this situation at our university where we've got some faculty who haven't been able to get back. So mm -hmm. these are American faculty or faculty from other countries. And so students will have to take some classes fully via Zoom online. Right. And then they have face-to-face -face classes with professors like me, right? Mm. And they call me a professor, which is funny, but whatever. They call me Enjoy a professor. it, Professor Amanda. Whatever. So Professor Amanda. Um, and so they constantly will say, well, I, I'm not choosing that class because it's a Zoom class. I want a real class. I want a real experience. I'm going to choose a face-to-face -face class. So they have that option. And they, you know, and they, they even say to me, they're like, when I'm on Zoom classes, it's easier to sort of tune out and check Absolutely, my phone. And for sure. I mean, I know this from when I'm in meetings with Zoom and stuff, like, I, you know, turn the video off and do, you know, whatever. Right. And so they find that their learning experience overall, and this is just anecdotally, this isn't, this isn't research or whatever, um, that they really prefer and they take the face-to-face -face classes more seriously and they're more attentive in them and, um, and they prefer them because they learn more. So, yeah. That is really interesting. So one of the things that I have hypothesized about this whole period, and I don't know that I'm right, I'm pretty convinced mm -hmm. I'm right, but I could be completely mm -hmm. wrong, is that even after we go back to face-to-face -to -face classrooms, which, you know, look, they're open, some of them are open here in the US, but I wouldn't necessarily call them the safest at the yeah. moment. I think there is going to be still a demand for some online classes I because so. I think you're right. I think most people do prefer that face to face. And I, I suspect particularly like people are just going to be so happy to be in the same room with people. <laughs> like yeah. there will be a little bit like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Let me hug Hello. you. Who are you? I don't care. <laughs> but but I, I think that demand will continue. What 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 is your opinion of that kind of being in the future? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things I've noticed as well is that there's a certain type of student who the online teaching experience really works perfectly for. Mm. And that kind of student has really, I think, like thrived in this whole Zoom environment. Like this sort of like, you know, work in my own time, if it's an asynchronous online or if it's a whatever, like, they, you know, they really... Um, you know, they get down to business, they're sort of very independent, they can get stuff done, they can motivate themselves, they don't need to be in the classroom and the attendance or whatever. And, um, and they really sort of enjoy the flexibility of that online environment. So I think this forced online experience that we've all experienced over the past year and a half or whatever, 
has woken up a whole bunch of students to that online experience who never would have known that they would have been successful or whatever in an online kind of class. And they're like, hey, I could do that. I've done, I was forced into it before and it kind of worked for me. So like, you know, I, I read and stuff that like, oh no, teaching's going to go away forever because now that, that everything's sense. online, no one's ever going to want teachers. And Spoiler, I'm like, yeah, it is not, yeah. it is not. Yeah, it is I have not. learned sure. through my experience but yeah, it's, it's not going away face-to-face teaching. So I'm not really worried about my, you know, future as a, uh, as a teacher and that. I'm not at all. I feel like my career is safe for now. Yeah. Like I think I'm safe here. Um, <laughs> but also lie. I think for those of you guys who are really successful in the online environment and really enjoy it, unlike me and are really good at it. I, I think that whole population of students that never had the experience of online, they're out there and they're like, Hey, you know, this opens up a whole world of knowledge to me. Like, like, for example, my students who are highly motivated, highly intelligent are like, yeah, I'll take a, 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 a class in the States. Like there's so many options I have and yeah. opportunities and I can do that, that I didn't really realize that I could be successful with and that we're awesome. And I will do it, even though I have to wake up at two in the morning to oh, take that I class. Have, I have six. I think I have uh, five students in China right now and one yeah. student in Taiwan. They all wrote me, like our semester started last Wednesday. They all wrote me to say, hi, I'm in China or wherever. And it's six in the morning when our class starts. Is, can we do anything about that? And I was like, sure, yes, we can. Uh, you do kind of have to be there, but you don't, we, we can work it out. But uh, what was I going to say? I had a question about that. So another thing I was thinking about might be a future model for classes because I do think even people who prefer face-to-face, there is something that is nice about the flexibility of not having to be in the same place, say five days a week, like maybe instead three days face-to-face and two days online. Have you seen anything like that? Is there any talk of things like that at your university or any places you know? Or That's interesting. So a couple days a week of online versus five days, you know, like, so I'm teaching like an EAP program where it's not like, uh, like an IEP, like intensive English program, like you have in the States where it's every day of the week. I teach my students, classes are just two days a week. And then they do a lot of work outside of their classes. But I could see that functioning in an in an IEP like intensive English program environment in the states where you know students are every day going to their English classes every you know having like a couple of days a week online versus f- some face to face classes. We've been doing also as well some hybrid stuff here because we have some faculty locked out of China. Right. And so you know I've had to co-teach with some colleagues. I was the remote faculty when I was in Thailand and now I'm on campus. So I've seen both sides and the way that we kind of did it um, was, you know, it was like the discussion portion of our course would happen in the face-to-face in the classroom environment. And then the lecture portion would be like through, um, through zoom where it was more like PowerPointy and like Mm. teacher focused kind of stuff. And so perhaps like, like a kind of, yeah, like a kind of setup like that could happen. Like, you know, I mean, it's almost like the flipped classroom, I guess. So yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities of models that could be developed now that we know this is a tool that's accessible to everybody essentially. And and it's manageable because we've all had to manage with it. So yeah, I totally see that as being a possibility um, in the future. But the thing I will say again, like what I've learned 
from China and the students here is that the face-to-face -face class for them seems to be the most serious because you're physically present. So they take it more seriously because you're in the room with the teacher or something or the professor, whatever. Um, and that seems to be a consistent vibe. So I, I don't know if that's just my environment or what, so. I think it is. You said something that I think was really interesting where you said that your students mm -hmm. kind of look at the Zoom class as like not a real class. And um, it's like, I don't want to take a Zoom class. I want to take a real class with you. And actually, one yes. thing that I've heard from a lot of my students at, at their university is they kind of refer to all of the classes being on Zoom as Zoom University. And let's just say that's not in a positive way. <laughs> okay, so um, and, I, and I, I, I hear what they're saying completely, because I think for many people, that switch to online happened super fast. Uh, yeah. People were not trained for it. I mean, look, you started teaching um, about 15 years ago, but when you mm -hmm. did that, I'm sure you didn't have, at least I think you probably didn't do a lot work on how to teach online or anything like that. So even yeah. your very experienced, very talented teachers had like almost no experience. And then here in the US, as you mentioned, you know, we had some things politicized. I would say that going back to school or not going back to school was politicized a little bit um, because yeah. obviously people want us to go there, but then teachers think, well, I don't want to die. So I'd really rather keep doing Zoom. But then parents are like, yes, but I'm pulling my hair out because I'm trying to right. work and I have three kids at home and I can't teach them. And the reason I'm saying all that is because I have heard this complaint where people have said, well, yes, those online classes haven't been really good. And you know what? They probably haven't. Uh, but I, I think that they can be. I, I think it's just we have been pushed to do it. It's been traumatizing here, here in the US. There was this whole like, are we going to go back to the class or not that in, in the summer, that was the, the whole summer. So the time that we could have spent training and yeah. practicing and, and writing our lessons for that was basically wasted in this like, no, no, we're really definitely going to go back. Maybe, I don't know. Oh, uh, guess yeah, what? Yeah, You're yeah. online again. So I wonder if it's yeah. just, it hasn't been developed enough to be taken seriously yet. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's, I think you've just kind of nailed it. I mean, people, and, and then there's the generational thing as well. I mean, yes. Oh yeah. We're old. Those of us who are teaching. Shut up. Okay. No. <laughs> we're not old. Speak for yourself. We're not old. Speak for yourself. Age but, ain't nothing but a number. To these kids with all their devices and things. <laughs> Those kids you know, with their memes and their, their memes and their devices. Their by takes, Dre and yeah. I know. It takes us longer to learn things because we weren't born with iPads in our hands and stuff. And so you know, okay, it takes us longer, meaning those of us who are like been teaching for 15 years or so. And then it's the, not only you're developing the, the curriculum and the content, then you have to integrating the content into the technology and know yes. enough about the technology of what's going to work and what's not going to work. Yep. And meanwhile, you're, you know, in a stressful life situation where you're like, should I go to work? Am I going to die? Should I teach? Oh my God, my kid's going to school. Like all these different things. It's like too much. And so yeah, people weren't ready and they're, you know, they're not, no one was pro properly trained and doesn't, no one really knows how to properly use these tools well enough. And 
there hasn't been time, just like you said. So, yeah. yeah. I'm wondering too, Amanda, because I think, um, am I right saying you're pretty happy with your setup in China right now, your teaching yeah. situation? Yeah, they're like, it's awesome. It's like the, probably the best job I've ever had. Um, that's fantastic. You know, so that's amazing. I mean, China's not my first choice of countries that I would go to if I could choose countries, but generally um, the, you know, the kinds of best jobs out there in our field tend to be in places where like not everybody wants to go yeah, <laughs> um, because true. of like, you know, challenges or whatever, like it's a mass surveillance state and everything. But at the same time, I have the most motivated students I've ever had, the brightest students I've ever had, you know, a my office is a converted five-star hotel room. I'm not exaggerating. It is. And that's pretty fabulous. You kind of sold me right there. Do they have any? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome. It's awesome. But yeah. Yeah. That, that's but great. Yeah. Um, could you see yourself ever returning to the States to teach? Or do you think that you would prefer teaching abroad? You know, it's, I could definitely do it in the States. It's definitely possible. It would be like a step down in terms of like, um, I don't know. Well, I mean, pay first of all, but also like, you know, the, the, respect. the flexibility <laughs> schedule, small, I mean, right. Like, yeah. Respect. I mean, oh, Lausche, oh, you're, you're, I mean, you're a professor, you're a teacher, and that is yeah. culturally yeah. much more respected in other yeah, countries than yeah, I forget. I, I forget about that. Um, but yeah, respect. Yeah, I really feel like abroad, I'm kind of treated like as like a professional and I have really something special to offer. Now, to be honest, part of that is, you know, it is the white privilege. And it's the, you know, we don't have many of people that look like you that are here. Um, but in East Asia, um, especially though, it's also like the teacher is someone that's almost as important in a role as like a parent, like highly respected, highly, yeah. um, you know, my students really like, I, you know, I have office hours a little bit later today and they're lining up outside the door because they want to learn and they want to learn from me and they think I have something valuable to offer. I'm not like a babysitter. Um, and, you know, in, in the States, sometimes, you know, you know, in the culture in the States, you're kind of treated like a well-paid babysitter sometimes. So that's like not a nice feeling. Um, there are wonderful things about teaching in the States that I do miss. And one of the things is, you know, the, the diversity of the classrooms. I mean, you have yeah. the Chinese kids next to the Arabs, next to right. the Africans, next to the South yeah. Americans and the serious Russians and, you know, and all everyone sort of mixed together and you're helping them adjust to life in the States. And, and that's a lot of fun. So I, yeah. I definitely miss that. Um, I could see myself doing it, but you know, I've got the adventurous spirit and the travel bug, right? Like I really enjoy life outside of here. So um, outside of the States and, um, but you know, COVID has made things very complicated and very difficult right now. Yeah. Like I can't really leave China right now. Like, I, I yeah. mean, no one's saying you can't leave, but they're also like, you can't leave. So it's like, <laughs> I'm kind of stuck here. You know, the expat cool lifestyle of like, got a vacation coming up. Where am I going to go? Let's right. go to Russia time. It's like, no, we have a holiday coming up two weeks from now. And we've basically been told, do not go anywhere. Do not go anywhere. Yeah. 
<laughs> so do you I don't do know. you think those days will come back when you can be like, hey, I've got a long weekend. I can go to Japan or I can go yeah, to Bali. like let's go to Bali next week. Um yeah, I you know, I think it will happen. I don't think it's gonna happen for a long time, but I think uh international travel is gonna for those of us with this expatty kind of lifestyle, international travel is going to be more complicated. It's it's just going to be more complicated. It's going to be, you know, I think vaccine certificates and more. I mean, there already is stuff like you need a WHO yellow card for yellow yellow fever certificate. You know, for some places in the yeah, world, you malaria, need malaria stuff like that. But I think the whole COVID thing has now been a wake up call for the planet that. Um, international travel, you don't just jet into Japan or whatever. It's going to be like, I think a lot more procedures getting in and out of countries, even after everyone's all vaccinated and this is okay. This is my prediction. I don't know. Perhaps a year from now, things will be totally back to normal and we forgot this whole COVID thing. But I think we're now in the back of our heads, meaning we, meaning planet Earth, have this awareness of like our whole existence everywhere could be shut down in an instant. And therefore international borders need to be a little bit stricter and not as porous. This is my guess, but I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think um, a wake up call from planet earth. I think you're giving too much credit to people who live on <laughs> planet earth, but I wonder if you're right about travel. However, the thing that worries me about that is, you know, as as people who have traveled and adventures, we've had that great experience of that first time you travel outside of your home country and it's just very eye-opening and very mm -hmm. impactful. Um, and I think that's a really special experience. And also, I think it's very good for cultivating understanding among different countries. So my worry is that you're right, there will be some more layers of bureaucracy, but they will be doable. And they will be doable if you have the money to navigate them, or you can pay someone to navigate them for you. And, and, and you'll still be able to travel. I think even now, if you're in a certain class, you can still pretty much, you know, not, yeah. not entirely, but you can, you can travel a little bit more freely than than Joe Schmo. I don't know. Um, that makes me sad. I hope that you're wrong. But I also hope that you're right that people do take this as a wake up call for the planet. But yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I know I am not going to stop traveling internationally. You will not be able to stop me. Yeah, I know. It's it's um. You know, for people like us, I, like I think in our field, we all sort of share a value of trying to bridge cultures together and bring yes. different types of people together and in a peaceful kind of way. And and that's what's so cool about travel. And I also I do have that worry that it's um, this will separate us apart more um, in the world for like not having those cross-cultural interactions as much as we had before. I mean, yes, they can happen via Zoom, but I mean, 
you know, like the experience of someone studying abroad in the States is, it, it's like transforming for these, these kids who come to the state. I mean, they come you back here to China. You can't smell your environment over Zoom, but when you're in a market yeah. or when you're in some place, you know, standing on the Great Wall yeah. and you see the vista that is in so incredible, you just don't, it's not, doesn't feel the same on a picture. But, but, I, mean, but I mean, the personal connections as well, too. Like, yeah, I mean, true. I have Chinese students in my classrooms who are like, I'm studying English now because I did a summer program for eight weeks in America. And I'll never forget the day I played basketball the first time with the kid in the neighborhood in English. And this has transformed yeah. me. And now, you know, like stuff like that, where you're like, oh my God, like playing a basketball game in suburban America for this kid, like transformed his view of the world and connect, you know, like that. I want that stuff to still be able to happen in the future because it's really transforming. And it's, you know, it is tourist stuff as well, like seeing the Great Wall and all that. But it's the personal connections, I think, for me that are so important and we need so much to like solve the world's problems and stuff. And so I, I'm just, I just hope in the future we figure out ways so that we can still be immersed in different cultures and, and find ways to do that. So, you know, I am an optimist obviously. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's obvious, but I was going to say, I think once, I think it's going to take a while for things to get better on a more global scale, but I think it's yeah. going to happen. I kind of suspect mm -hmm. that although you're right, I think there's going to be a huge desire for people to go places because they're so sick of oh, being in their yeah. own country. So oh, yeah. um, hopefully hopefully we will actually be able to to still go to those places i kind of feel like that desire is going to win out but we'll see yeah well definitely i mean you guys have been cooped up so long in the states it's just yeah. sick of it but if i'm yeah. correct in understanding your point it's not that people won't want to travel or be able to travel but there will be more administrative or cost you know, expensive tasks that people will have to complete in order to be able to go to another country. Is that what you were saying? Right. And I think I'm saying that maybe it's because where I am is in East Asia and I've realized how complicated and how serious they are about COVID and this disease and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the, the, the procedures you have to go through between countries, are, I mean, they're going to like, it just feels like vaccine certificates or whatever, like all this stuff. And, but then I think about the West, I'm like, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen in Europe or the States, like, come on. And so like, will there be these bubbles of areas of the world where the complication to get there is so high and annoying? And I don't know, maybe this is something temporary. And like my perspective being over here in East Asia right now is like affecting that. I'm like, maybe this is just forever, all these hoops or, or not. I mean, I, I don't know, but I know my experience is opposite from you guys and that you guys are like free flow over there. No one's like kind of taking it as seriously as they might. And here it's just the opposite. It's like lockdown is like 20 seconds away at any point and we never know. And so, you know. Well, so it's funny because here we have a, it's like what I would call a lockdown in quotes. Like, okay. yeah, you're, you're locked down, but are you really, I mean, okay, maybe, but my point is even at like the most strict of a lock lockdown here, well, you can always yeah. get in your car and go to Arizona or yeah. go someplace where the lockdown is not so strict. Yeah. So 
in a strange way because of that is exactly what you yeah. said you've been locked down for so long china kind of did this like super intense lockdown you can't leave your house all of this stuff right. and that was really harsh but because they they did that and still do that in areas where there's an outbreak yeah. you can sort of continue as normal every place else i just right. find it really difficult to imagine the u.s doing that i mean there are european oh, yeah. countries that are even england has a much stricter or the uk has a much stricter lockdown than the u.s mm. and of course australia and new zealand do um so oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But eventually, um, we're going to be able to say was about this whole thing. <laughs> and I look forward to that. So do you have any final, final thoughts you'd like to add or share with people? Yeah, I mean, maybe I just want to end uh, on a hopeful note that I like this whole experience has been challenging, I think, for all of us, whatever our context um, is, Zoom, face-to-face, post-Zoom, hybrid, whatever. But I feel very much like our profession is alive and well. I agree. And, um, I totally agree with you. And it's not going anywhere. So, you know, those people are, oh, whatever, Zoom's going to make everything go away. No, like through this experience, I've really learned the importance of what it is that we do. And what I mean, you know, not just teaching grammar or whatever, like nouns and verbs, but I mean, br bridging cultures and bringing people together from different cultural backgrounds and helping people grow and being a teacher in the classroom, that's not going anywhere. And I feel really hopeful about that. And I, I feel hopeful about the, the continuing connections that we continue to make in our classrooms. Um, Me too. And so, and I'm excited for that experience when you guys get to, to go back to face-to-face -face classes. It's an awesome experience. I am telling you, I was on like a high for weeks. Um, when I got to the face-to-face -face classroom, I mean, I, I was like hugging everyone and I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, just contact. <laughs> Hello, human. You know, I just so. want to piggyback off the back of that because you said that you don't think our career is going anywhere. And I actually agree with you. I think this has been an incredibly tough time for yeah. certainly people in English-speaking countries who are working in English as a second yeah. language and international education. But I believe, and I'm mm -hmm. gonna make this prediction, I, I really believe there's gonna be a massive bounce back because people want that connection and people yeah. want to know more people. So if you're in this field or you wanna be in this field, just hang on, hang on. That's what I say. Hang on. Hold on for one more day. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh, Amanda, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for all of your wonderful information. It was great to talk to you and uh, Zaitian. Okay. Not, nice job, Zaitian. <laughs> bye bye. All right. Thank bye, you. Let's keep in touch.